Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of Swan Dingo Files. Today, I have Lisa Kirk with me. She is a fellow veteran, retired, wrote a book, and she's actually got some pretty cool military stuff to talk about. So, good morning, Lisa. Good morning. <laughs> so, if, hi. So, if you can, can you just uh, kind of walk us through, why did what made you join the military? My family, uh, I have a long history of family who served in the military. Uh, my grandfather was in World War II. He was an MP. Um, he was a master sergeant. And then my uncles were, uh, one was a warrant. He um, was in uh, a Green Beret. And then I had another one. He was a logistician. Uh, he was a SAR major. And I just always wanted to join. And I'm one of five. So I'm the middle child, three brothers and a sister. And my brother received a phone call from a recruiter. And I'm from Pennsylvania, right outside of Philly. And I answered the phone one day and he asked me and I, and, uh, I said, hey, uh, what do you got for me? I wanted to be an infantry soldier. And he's like, women can't be infantry. So I said, I went the closest thing. So he said, military, please. So I joined in 96. Oh, wow. So uh, kind of a long line of patriot patriotism from your family. So, and yeah. of course that played a big part in you joining. Um, so you joined MP just because you, I guess, wanted to see combat. Yes. I, I wanted the best of both worlds, uh, field and law enforcement experience. Uh, I didn't mind them both. Uh, and I spent a lot of time in the field, which was not that bad. I actually enjoyed that better than law enforcement. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I was in for 21 and a half years. Wow, that's a long time. And what rank uh, did you make it up to? Master Sergeant. Wow, that's, uh, that's a hard feat to get to. And it's pretty rare you hear females wanting to be, you know, frontline-ish in the field, stuff like that. Most just want to sit back, paint their nails, and that's not you. No, no, I'm a tomboy. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, so <laughs> share some of your career highlights while you serve in the military. I mean, I'm sure you got a lot, but anything that really stands out that you want to share with the world? Sure. Uh, let's see. In 2000, I competed in a bodybuilding competition, which was kind of cool. Uh, I placed second. I was uh, stationed in Port Louis. It was just kind of like a whim. I just wanted to take care of myself, like self-care. And then uh, when I was in Hawaii, uh, I my squad leader's like, hey, do you want to be a part of the special reaction team? They're, uh, they're actually bringing females into it. So I was like, sure. So I was like one of the first females to be on the SRT down in Hawaii. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then I deployed to Afghanistan with the 25th Infantry. Um, and uh, 30, about 30 days on ground, we were trying to acclimate because <laughs> the altitude. And uh, the Navy SEALs needed a female marshal. And um, I was the highest ranking at the time. I was the staff sergeant in the unit. And they sent me over. And the funny thing about this, man, I got to share this with you. My lieutenant is really, really tall. And he's like, whatever you do, don't say anything. And I was like, okay, I won't say anything. So I, I, um, I showed up at the compound and um, I was called a couple words that 
I've been called before, uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny. They call me a split tail. I was like, I've heard that before. And uh, I showed up on the compound. I was thinking, man, I, I just need to keep my mouth shut. But I saw something like MPs were the masters at searching and all that fun stuff. So I saw them doing some crazy searching in a circle. And I met this FBI guy along the side. And he's like, uh, he's looking at me. He goes, what do you think? And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. And so he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Captain Kirk over here has something. And I was like, I guess they started calling me Captain Kirk because that's my last name because they didn't want to use first names. Well, long story short, I showed him how to do a proper uh, search. And um, I worked with them for like six months out of my deployment. They didn't want anybody but me. Um, and I went all over the place with them, which was amazing. And then um, even today, I was told by uh, the commander that the policies and procedures for searching are still used today in that SEAL, in that SEAL team, excuse me, which is kind of cool, so. Well, that's nice to hear. Uh, they accept you took, took your knowledge and everything. You know, SEALs are always, you know, supposed to be one of the top, if not the top, uh, and SOCOM and all that stuff. And they think they know everything a lot of times. And so it's nice that they actually listen to somebody outside of them and actually took your advice. So yes. that's fairly rare. It, it took a, uh, me throwing the football a couple times. Uh, I like throwing football. So I used to throw football with my brothers and I was throwing the ball really hard. And the, uh, the master sergeant, he would throw or command master chief would throw the ball to me and I'd catch it. And going back and forth. And I think just me being like as proactive as I was, whatever they did, I did uh, as far as uh, prep in and, and, and training. Uh, I think it build uh, rapport and respect, which is kind of cool both ways, which is nice. Yeah, as an outsider, and then of course being the first female and all that stuff, I'm sure. Uh, did you ever have any challenges with any of them or you felt like you ever got treated differently or? No, no. I'm, I was treated differently more when I got back to my unit. Uh, I don't know if it was they were jealous or uh, you know they were a little bit of animosity. Like, yeah, uh, I was a squad leader doing convoy missions and I had to pull my my team leaders aside because at one point they were telling the soldiers, which is kind of sad, that if I took them outside the uh, the wire, I'd get them killed, which is I don't know. I, I heard it from a source. Right. So I pulled my team leaders aside. I said, I'm the only one so far that's been outside the wire. We haven't even done convoys yet. I was like, so why are you guys? And I found out, long story short, it was because I was going out with them and I was I was going outside of the wire before they, because they were just doing, um, checking IDs at the job, basically, you know, yeah. uh, and stuff like that. So they're in, in the inner, inner perimeter. So, yeah. So it was kind of like a lot of animosity. And then uh, when we started going outside the wire, they felt more comfortable and stuff like that. But yeah, nothing from the SEALs. They were amazing. I tried to, they tried to put me in for a Navy accommodation medal, but <laughs> it got denied. <laughs> so mm. it's okay by my, by my leadership. But I mean, did it bother me? It, it pissed me off a little bit because I was thinking, man, I, I, I busted my butt with these guys. And I'm not, a, I, my, I was a master sergeant and I swear I looked like a glorified specialist because I didn't care about awards. But out of all the awards that I could have possibly received in my military career, that right there, working with those guys was, uh, it's speechless. I can't even Pop, explain. Pops the list of everything that you, that you did? Yes. 
Yes. So uh, when you went outside the, the gate or wire in Afghanistan, did you ever engage with the local nationals at all? Yes, uh, the, the checkpoint, uh, we did humanitarian to uh, when when I was working with uh, my squad, uh, we would go, we, we'd actually developed the 10K perimeter around mm -hmm. Bagram. And uh, it was it was difficult because uh, the maps weren't up to date. So there were times that we would uh, send in uh, reports and they're like, oh, get out of there. And we had to get our up armors out of a minefield or something like that, you know, very carefully. But um, yeah, um, in fact, uh, we were there when they did the, uh, when the females, the women were able to uh, vote, we were there. We weren't actually pulling security for it, but we were actually there just driving the, the routes, uh, watching them take their burkas off and living life, being able to vote, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and the only reason why I asked that is because uh, I was in Afghanistan in 2010-11 and also again in 14-15. My goodness. So, something like that. Yeah, I got four uh, deployments to Iraq to Afghanistan. Ooh. And uh, the first one, we were up in the Kunar province, up in the Hindu Pass up there, like pretty much right next to the border of Pakistan. And they brought a female engagement team in there to start engaging with females. Well, if you know anything about those outlying areas, you know, where, where Cop Keating got overrun and all that stuff and OP Bari Alai and all that, um, that's where we were. So it, we were going to get pushed in on a regular basis. It was fun now. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> Think about it now, I'm surprised I live, but um, you know, they brought this female engagement team in to start engaging with females. Like, that's dumb. I'm sorry, but it's like, this isn't going to work up here. This isn't the cities. This isn't, you know, the bigger bases. This isn't none of that stuff. You're going to end up getting those women killed. Um, and yeah, there, there was some crazy stuff that went on up there. There's a sheriff that, I mean, I know it's for the show, but there's a sheriff, but people actually need to know what goes on over there a little bit. The sheriff of the local area for the um, Afghans raped a, a married woman and she was murdered after that because of it. And it's like, I, wow. I, I think a lot of people don't realize how good we have it here in the United States. Um, we, we live a very cushy life. Um, when people say that they're uh, oppressed over here in America, it's like, you want to see oppression? I'll take you up there in Afghanistan and you will see what real oppression looks like towards women. So, and it's sad. It really is. They never got to take yeah. the work off. That election, what year was that election? It was, uh, I was there 2004, 2005. So I think it was um, February of 05, I think. I think that's when they did it in the beginning of, because I remember it was cold. Yeah, well, the word must not have gotten up there and where we were up in the Kunar province. So they must not have gotten that word that females can vote or even anybody can vote because they had an election 2010-11. And that whole day, all we did was take fire that day because they didn't want people out in the fields. They didn't want people to go to vote. So they're uh, keeping us pinned down. Plus, they were keeping people from traveling to go vote. So, yeah. yeah. So, so you had a 21 and a half year career um, made up to master sergeant, which is you know, good in that amount of time, there's a lot of men that don't even make make E8 in the military in that amount of time. So you had a very good career. Um so why did why did you not stay in a little bit longer? I mean, the master starting, you could have stayed in over you know, twenty-five plus years. Politics, uh yeah. good old boy system. 
uh, I, I went into the Wounded Warrior program when I, my last duty station, I was in Fort Riley because uh, I looked at it, life in so many ways, like 10 years down the road, who's really going to give a crap about me? Mm. Um, and I know my family would, uh, but is this organization or am I just a number? And uh, I had a lot of stuff happen to me. We'll, we'll go through my book here uh, in a bit, but um, I had a lot of stuff happen to me in the military and uh, it kind of created a path that I didn't want to go down. So I just decided that it was time for me to uh, get out and write a book and start a business and live life with my family. So uh, how, how long before you, of course you retired, how long before you, you, when, how long before your, your thing about getting out, did you submit your retirement paperwork and think about and start looking at transitioning to the, the next life? Uh, I, I went into the wounded warrior program in uh, 2014 and with the medical treatment and stuff like that, that they did with me to put me on the right path. Uh, it was about three years. So I was, I was, stuck. I was like one of the uh, longest individuals at that wounded warrior program, just so they can try to figure out uh, what was going on with me. And so I, I, I wanted to make sure that I was good to go before I, I jumped into civilian world. So, so it's yeah, about three course. years. Yeah. And the transition, I tell you, the transition actually sucked, to be honest with you. Well, what was so bad about the transition part? Um. Well, I got a job right after, I mean, two days after I got a job, I work at a brewery, uh, Piney River Brewing Company, and uh, beautiful place. I uh, learned how to, you know, make beer and stuff like that. Uh, it's a small little place in Missouri, but um, the uh, they give you 180 days uh, to get your life insurance. And I was working so hard and I wasn't even thinking about it. Like I didn't put anything on my phone and, you know, I, I've, I've had like several concussions in my career and, you know, PTSD and stuff like that. So I'm forgetful. So I forgot about it. I called, I was a day late, a dollar short, couldn't get life insurance. So I tried to go to like popular agencies like Prudential or USAA or whatever, denied because of my diagnosis. So mm -hmm. I have no life insurance whatsoever. So I'm like the poster child for people transitioning out to say, hey, either get it before you get your diagnosis or get the VGLI until you can you know, find a life insurance company if that's something that you want for you and your family. And then uh, jobs, our lingo is different than civilian world. Mm -hmm. um, the way we do things in the military is different than they do in the civilian world. I mean, I'm working in a job right now where my lingo is completely different because none of these people know uh, anything about the military. You know, uh, they looked at my resume and I think a lot of it, I mean, we, I, I, I moved it to civilian terminology. I had a friend of mine work on that with me. However, um, I don't know if I'm overqualified or what, but it's just, the intimidation part of it because there's just so much stuff in there you know and maybe they just don't understand what i did or what i do and they don't want to have a conversation <laughs> you know if that makes sense so, so I, can see, I can see that the uh intimidation factor and stuff like that you know high, uh fairly high ranking because they don't know this is the e8 they know a lot of years retired you know you made it up to the right they probably are you probably do intimidate a lot of employers so 
and you definitely have qualifications for a, a numerous amount of jobs. But it's funny that you say that you couldn't get life insurance because I actually was looking at additional life insurance when I started having my kids and I was knowing I was going to Afghanistan again. And um, just just in case, you never know. And uh, as soon as they told me that, yeah, or as soon as I told them we got PTSD, they either jacked the price up to like triple, quadruple, or they said, you're not qualified anymore, or we can't cover you. And it's like, really? It's like, yeah, I think they said like, you got to get have a doctor clear you or something. And we can't do anything for seven years after that. And it's like, so what the fuck? Like, yeah, really? And I was like, ah, I'm not, not going to go into it, but yeah. And it's funny. You also mentioned Fort Riley because that was my first duty station, 2003 to six. And, uh, that's where I deployed twice with uh back when first armor division was out of there before they moved down to bliss. So it was, uh, actually wasn't a bad place. So, but, um, so you got out and when did you write your book? I wrote my book. Actually, uh, I was in Minnesota for uh, TBI and uh, PTSD treatment. It was, uh, they do inpatient. I was there for six mm -hmm. months. And I went through cognitive process thinking where you're like the lawyer. And I had to write down a lot of my trauma that I experienced uh, while I was in the service. So I, I, I sat there and wrote some things that happened to me and I reflected on it and said, you know what? I had to re re rewrite it all over again, reread it. So it helped me desensitize. But I sat down as I was doing my homework for school. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to write a book because I think I don't, I always thought I was the only, uh, I was alone dealing with this stuff like rape, toxic leadership, uh, losing friends to suicide, sexual assault, physical assault, you name it happened. Um, so I, I said, you know, I'm going to write this book and uh, just started putting the chapters together and stuff like that. So in 2000, right, right after I retired in 2017, I got together with uh, a friend of mine who wrote a book about drill sergeants and um, there's a, it's called Doris Publishing. It's out of Pittsburgh and they published my book. It's called In and Out of Uniform. It's just short stories to inspire and motivate people to never give up and speak up. Okay, um, and what are, what are some of the stories inside that book? What are some of the stories? Um, yeah. uh, some of the stories, uh, I lost my mentor. Uh, she was shot by a, uh, a fellow, well, I can't call him fellow, but he was an MP in Korea over a four-day pass. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I, I was sexually assaulted, uh, or actually raped in 99. Uh, no, I think it was like, I, I forget the years, but I was raped. Um, it talks a short, short, uh, version of me working with the seals. It talks about me, uh, trying out for the SRT. That was kind of cool. Um, talks about toxic leadership that I experienced while I was in Fort Leonard Wood. I had to uh, go up in the psych ward, <laughs> but, and I almost took my life in Fort Riley. Uh, I had a really bad experience down there. And then the, uh, all the chapters are awesome because the chapters are like, you can't make this stuff up expect the unexpected kind of like uh the lingo that you would hear in the military why stuff like that so uh it just kind of pushes a lot of uh in the preface it says i'll make you laugh cry put the book down maybe even throw it but all in all even at the end the the main goal is what is your coping skill you know uh if you can face your fears in these challenges and 
pick yourself up? Uh, what are the things that you can do as far as life that keeps you going? So coping skills are my big thing. So. And so your coping skills, you know, helped you out. Do you still use those coping skills today that you learned? Why I know you, I know you learn inpatient coping. When you're an inpatient, you learn coping skills. Do you still use those to this day? Yes, yes. I, I play guitar. Uh, I have a, a paint party business. It's uh, called Create with Lisi, and I do paint parties. I have a sugar shack, which is my she shed, uh, on my property. And then I also do venues. I paint a canvas and then I guide people to paint it. They can sip on wine, beer, whatever. And uh, it's just a therapeutic relaxation setting where people sit back and relax. And I teach them how to paint. Let all your worries stay out that door and just enjoy yourself, you know, and stuff like that. So what are you guys painting? Do you like just whatever or you just whatever comes to their mind or? I, I kind of theme it out. Uh, like okay. I have one on uh, Fort Leonard Wood um, tonight and it's Patriot Spring. It's like a barn with uh, a flag and some sunflowers. And uh, I figured I'd theme it out to what's appropriate for what people like. So. And how many people do you usually get at these paint parties? This one I have 22. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. And I can, I can work with 22. Uh, I think, the most I had was at the brewery and that was 30. Mm. I had 30 people show up and a lot of them are regulars. I get a lot of regulars, have a lot of followers and uh, they know the drill. So they just start painting uh, as I'm talking, which is kind of cool. And it's like self-paced. I give people like four hours because everybody's uh, skill set's different. So I give them up the four hours and I help them out if they don't, you know, if they feel like they can't paint. But I have people that come in and say, I can't paint a stick figure, but I want to give this a try. And then when they walk out, you, you're so you're amazed because the creativity is amazing. Uh, I don't think you could help me paint any better. I'm the <laughs> least artistic person you'll ever see in your life. I swear to God. Like, oh. <laughs> give me a gun. I, I can, you know, shoot anything. Give me a paintbrush. I can't even make a good stick figure, honestly. So I'm just, yeah. that, <laughs> just that bad. Everybody's got their own coping skills, you know? <laughs> Well, my coping skills have turned into this, and I'll talk to other veterans again, their, their stories out there as much as we can, and um, and you definitely got a unique story. Um, it's unfortunate what did happen to you, the bad times, but it seems like the good times are also good. Um, a lot of th a lot of people don't realize that, you know, as veterans, we all have our different stories, but we can all come together and tell our stories, and we can actually help each other out with coping. So, and that's kind of why I'm starting to do this. I don't even know how many I've done so far, but each story has been different, but each story has helped me. And I'm hoping these stories are getting out to each other. So uh, what was the name of your book again? In and Out of Uniform. And where can people find your book? On Amazon. My sister painted the cover too. It's like a half woman, half soldier and a soldier saluting. It's pretty cool. It's like an acrylic pour. It's really pretty. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Um, just look up Lisa Kirk book or In and Out of Uniform. And how can people get a hold of you uh, if they want to, to um, on your social media or anything like that? Uh, what are some of your handles? Uh, in and out of uniform. I have it on, I'm on Facebook. Uh, Lisa Whistler Kirk, W-H-I-S-L-E-R Kirk. And my paint parties is create with Lisi. Um, yeah, so I have a lot of, and then, uh, they can contact me on email at lisa.r.kirk at gmail.com. Okay, I, I was kind of wondering, I saw the name, Lisey's like, I wonder how you say that, I don't want to assume, so, 
Uh, L-I-F-E-E, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's what I used to be called. My parents used to call me that when I was growing up. Awesome. Well, it's a, I'm glad you came on today. I'm glad you could talk about your book a little bit, and I'm actually looking forward to reading it. Um, do you have any questions of me? Oh, no. I just, can I can I share something really quick with you real quick? Yeah, please, please. Okay. The, I, I can't say transition completely sucked because the greatest gift of all was uh, the, the veteran resources that some friends of mine shared. Like, you're aware of uh, Warrior Path, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, creative Vets? I don't think that one, no. Check out Creative Vets. Anybody listening to this Creative Vets, I wrote a song with some songwriters down in Nashville. Non, it, it's, a, it's a great, powerful organization uh, created by a Marine, creativevets.org. You can do art, you can do music, it's coping skills through trauma. Uh, yeah, and that's the only thing I can pretty much know off the top of my head that helped me out tremendously. Those yeah. organizations. Yeah, definitely. And I appreciate you sharing those with me. I, I almost forgot. So I'm glad you stopped me there. So, but I'll definitely look into those. I'm going to read, definitely go look at your book and read it if I can. I'll probably end up throwing it. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I, I hear some of the bad stories. It's just like, why? But uh, no, I get it. So, all right, then. Well, this is another episode of the Swan Dingo Files with Lisa Kirk, and she's a published author. She also does painting parties for therapeutic purposes, and she's a badass. So don't fuck with her, or she might whoop your ass. Everybody have a good time now, and we'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep Swandingoing.